Welcome to Bite-Size Battles. Welcome back everyone to the episode which covers one of the most famous warlords that has ever existed. And so eventful was this time that I've split the episode into two parts, which you can listen to one after another in a mini binge if you like, or take them one at a time. I've been speaking during this series of a storm that had first thundered onto the sea north of the Black Sea, before spreading west towards the Roman Empire. That storm was the Huns. They had come screaming out of the vast Eurasian steppe, spreading terror from horseback with bow and sword. Running before them had been all the very groups which had crashed across Rome's borders and created such havoc for the past four decades. The Goths, Vandals, Alans, Swavy, and lots more we haven't had time to mention. Now the Romans would feel the full force of the Hunnic storm themselves. And they would fight it in Gaul, on the Catalonian plains. Welcome to Attila the Hun. It's important that we understand the context to grasp the full, catastrophic impact the Huns had. We finished our last episode with the Roman Empire in the midst of an extraordinary resurgence. In the year 410, Britain had been abandoned, Spain lost, Italy desolated, Gaul in the hands of a usurper, and Rome itself sacked. Things could hardly have looked more bleak. But just seven years later, the ailing empire had been almost entirely resurrected. Most of Gaul and Spain were back in the fold, Italy and the city of Rome were recovering, and Western Roman armies and resources were united once again. The Vandals had been left in control of Galicia in northwest Spain, along with what remained of the Alans who had been mauled by the Visigoths, who themselves were now Roman allies. By 418, it was thought the Vandals could be allowed to fester there for a while, occupied as they were in a mountainous region, easy to defend, but also easy to bottle them up. Their time would come, and while it wasn't all sunshine and roses, the overwhelming sense was that the Roman Empire was back, and back in a big way. Perhaps even Britain could be retaken in time. The chief architect of this spectacular resurgence was the Roman commander Flavius Constantius. So successful was he that emperor and senate lined up to heap accolade and status upon him. In 414 he was awarded the ultimate ceremonial badge of honour, his first consulship. And while the function had long ago ceased to wield any real power, the consulship itself still carried all its immense cachet. In 415, Constantius was awarded the title Patrician, again meaningless in practice, but was still full of redolent symbolism. Only the highest of high Romans were patricians. He was made consul a second time in 417, and even more significant, 
was given the hand of Galla Placidia in marriage, the Emperor Honorius's beautiful sister, who was by now back from her exploits with the Visigoths. They had two children together, a son, Valentinian, and a daughter, Iusta Grata Honoria. We'll be hearing more about the colossal influence Honoria would turn out to be a little later on. In essence, Constantius and his brood became the first family of empire, and as the Emperor Honorius had no children of his own, no one was in any doubt about who was next in line. His power and prestige continued to grow with yet another consulship in 420, and then his inexorable rise took him right to the top. In February 421, he was made co-emperor by Honorius. Effective ruler and saviour of the West for the last ten years, married to the emperor's sister, father to the heir apparent, and now co-emperor. Rome had a new Caesar, ready to lead her into another golden age. And how the people rejoiced! But, just shy of seven months later, in September 421, Constantius suddenly died. And, two years after that, so did Honorius. Their deaths, particularly Constantius's, were a catastrophe for Roman revival. What ensued was nearly 15 years of political chaos at the top of the Roman West, including two major civil wars. Even worse, this political chaos at the centre created weakness in the provinces. The Visigoths, who had been subdued by Constantius and then settled by mutual agreement in Aquitaine, became troublesome again in Gaul in the mid-420s. The Franks, sniffing vulnerability on the wind, were on the move in Gaul at the same time too. And the failure to finish the job in Spain by removing the Vandals for good came back to bite the Romans hard when the former broke out of their enclave and made a beeline for what's now Morocco. We'll cover the Vandals in our next episode, but this was the background. Civil war and renewed barbarian trouble in multiple places. How different things could have been had Constantius lived. The 420s and first half of the 430s then were a disastrous setback for the Romans and it was horrible timing. Because in 434, there rose to power among the Huns a man whose name would go down in history. Attila the Hun. Pretty quickly, Attila threatened the Eastern Empire with war if he wasn't paid an annual tribute of gold. They agreed and got on reasonably well until 441, when ambitious politicians in Constantinople put a stop to the tribute. Over the next decade, the Huns repeatedly crashed across the Roman Danubian frontier, wreaking devastation far and wide throughout the Balkans and Thrace, the same region the Goths had wrecked after 376. 
So destructive were these invasions that they show up in archaeology to this day. Being inside a city when it was taken by the Huns would have been a terminal experience for your property, dignity, freedom and life. The contemporary Hypatia said that they so devastated Thrace that it will never rise again and be as it was. The East Romans were not idle and twice they marched to meet Attila with all the armies they could muster. Both times they were crushed. And by 447 they had nothing left with which to stop him. He even ranged as far south as Thermopylae, where Leonidas had made his famous stand against the Persians a thousand years earlier. Desperate for peace, Constantinople paid Attila huge sums of gold and agreed to keep the money coming in tribute worth £2,100 of gold a year, five times what they had been paying the Huns before Attila came to power. But what does all this have to do with the Western Roman Empire? Possibly it wouldn't have had anything at all to do with them if it hadn't been for the daughter of Constantius and Galla Placidia, Honoria. The sources say she was stunningly, captivatingly attractive, as well as headstrong. She had been caught having a forbidden affair with her business manager, a man named Eugenius. Eugenius should have known better, because the poor man now had his head chopped off, and Honoria was instead betrothed to a dreary and witless senator. But of course, she wasn't happy with these arrangements at all and sent a personally written letter to Attila the Hun himself. She asked him the small favour of rescuing her from her marital imprisonment. A Roman princess had just invited a horde of barbarians to invade the Western Roman Empire for her sake. It sounds incredible fantasy, and the kind of knight in shining armour story that has people swooning. Except Attila was no knight in shining armour, he was a maniac. And besides, as extraordinary as it sounds, Honoria's antics are so well documented that there must be at least some truth to it. The reality is that Attila most likely had several reasons for what he did next, but whatever the case, Having been paid by the East to stop ravaging Thrace, he suddenly turned up with his massive armies on the Western Roman Empire's Rhine frontier in 451. Honoria must have been getting her bags packed. Continue listening in part two.